When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Rich Eisen Show. How you doing? Good, Dan. How about you? <laughs> no complaints. No complaints. Uh, That's good. We don't want to hear him anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> That'll wrap it up for this show. Live from the Rich Eisen Show studio in Los Angeles. That's a fact. <laughs> we don't want to hear the complaints. We don't, we don't want to hear absolutely him. don't want to hear absolutely complaints. Absolutely not. The Rich Eisen Show with guest host Dan Schwartzman. And now, sitting in for Rich... Hit the drop. It's Dan Schwartzman. Ah, oh, that is right. Hour three. Dan Schwartzman in for Rich Eisen. The Rich Eisen Show here on a Friday. Want to get to the Washington Commanders here. What a terrible week for them and the NFL it was. But there is news in baseball. Aaron Judge and the Yankees have settled their arbitration hearing. And they apparently avoided it right before it began. And that was supposed to be at noon Eastern time. They agree on a one-year, $19 million contract. He was asking for 21. The Yankees were offering 17. He doesn't just get the 19 million, which is the halfway point. Also, he could make an additional $250,000 by winning an MVP award. He's the favorite right now, and an additional 250,000 for being World Series MVP. They have the best record in baseball, so maybe he does line up for both of those. He could make 19 and a half million dollars. Not too bad. As I guess you can say he wins his arbitration case without actually going to arbitration. We'll get to judge a bit later on. Also the NBA draft. My thoughts on that. But boy, oh boy, what a week for the Washington Commanders. Not a good one, nor the NFL. Congress, of course, has taken up this case about the workplace, I guess, alleged abuses within the front office of the Commanders. And uh, man, a lot of concern. Let's head down there. Commanders beat reporter for the Washington Times. Matt Parrish joining us. And uh, Matt, what's the reaction in that area, the Virginia, Maryland, Washington, D.C. area, when it comes to the name Dan Snyder these days? <laughs> well, it, it's kind of been the same as it has been in recent years. Is they, they just can't stand the guy. I mean, obviously, this scandal has intensified that but a lot of people in the area a lot of fans um just really despise him and there's kind of a long-running joke in town that if he were to ever sell the team they would throw a parade down constitution as if they were to win the super bowl because it's it's that bad you know what really was shocking to me uh looking at this testimony in this case was roger goodell Obviously, he's right. He can't just remove uh, Dan Snyder as an owner. He can recommend it, but the other owners have to vote, and 24 have to agree to get him out before he can be let out, and that's going to be tough to do. They don't want to set that precedence. But he kind of was wishy-washy in terms of who's running the team, right? Dan Snyder's not supposed to be, I believe, right? His his wife is supposed mm-hmm. to be running it as part of his penalty, but is he running it? I mean, do we actually know if Dan Snyder has retaken yeah. the reins because Roger Goodell did, didn't seem to know? Right. Well, so just to, to back up a little bit, when the NFL first announced um, their decision, uh, their findings from Beth Wilkinson's investigation last summer, they said that Dan Snyder would be voluntarily 
taking a leave of absence from the day-to-day operations of the franchise for, and they classified that for several months. So it, it technically wasn't a suspension, but there's been this weird language that Roger Goodell has used saying that Snyder hasn't been around the team for uh, a year to the best of his knowledge, but that's just not everything that I've heard. You know, I've, I've had someone reach out to me to directly dispute what Goodell has said that, Snyder has been involved in the day-to-day that he remains involved in uh, the big decisions and stuff like that. And, you know, even Ron Rivera, their coach has referenced talking to the Snyders, talking to Dan Snyder throughout the season. I don't necessarily know if that means he's at the facility every day. I think it's pretty rare when he makes an appearance, but he's still involved in the major decisions of the franchise and what you would call the day-to-day. You know, it's amazing to me when you look at this whole situation, Matt, that, you know, you have a big market team like the Washington Commanders, a incredibly loyal fan base. My deceased aunt and uncle were huge Washington fans. The players, you know, look, Ron Rivera is a player's coach. People like playing for him, right? You saw that in Carolina. Guys gravitate toward him. If it wasn't for him, would players just not want to play here because of Dan Snyder? Uh, you know, that that's always the the question of whether Washington could um, attract those situations. I mean, you know, Washington wanted to pursue big-time quarterbacks this offseason before landing Carson Wentz. I think Russell Wilson was really their guy, and Wilson had a, a no-trade clause, and he didn't want to come to Washington. You know, he, he made that uh, pretty clear, so... Yeah, I think Snyder definitely had something to do with that. I don't know how much that affects the, the league-wide reputation, but um, they haven't landed that star-caliber quarterback, even though they've been aggressive for him, and I think that's one of the reasons. Commander's beat reporter for the Washington Times, Matt Parrish, joining us here on the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Schwartzman in for Rich on this Friday. What also was interesting in this hearing was in the 29 pages released by the Oversight Committee, they seem to indicate that the NFL kind of helped Dan Snyder, maybe not in the shadow investigation, but in potentially possibly covering up some stuff from the Beth Wilkinson investigation. Is that how you read it as well, that the NFL potentially could have been culpable as well? Yeah, so what the, the House committee uh, alleges or, or what they found in their report is that Roger Goodell there was originally an agreement between the law firm that the NFL hired and the NFL that when Beth Wilkinson's report was done, she would deliver that in a written report. A written report would be released and it would be compiled based on her findings. But uh, through the process, Goodell said that he only wanted the findings to be delivered orally, that, you know, Goodell claims it's to, to protect the confidentiality of the people involved lawmakers pushed back against that idea saying why couldn't you just redact the names like you did with the miami dolphins for instance other leagues have taken that route as well with confidentiality and Goodell said that that um, redaction doesn't always work in his line of business is oh he said something along to those effects so yeah it's a point of contention for sure does Dan Snyder look? He's an embarrassment to the NFL at this point. Let's not let's not mince words. He's clearly an embarrassment to the NFL. He does not shine a good light on a league where 
a lot has happened in terms of CTE and, and the arrogance in issues like this. Is he a step closer to being out, or do you think it's very hard to think of Dan Snyder actually losing control of this team or being forced to sell the way that the the McCourts were forced to sell by Major League Baseball and, of course, uh, Donald Sterling was forced to sell the Clippers by the NBA? If you were a betting man, Matt, and I'm not saying you are, is Dan Snyder potentially in danger of losing this team? It, honestly, it just define, it depends on how these active investigations um, what what they uncover. There are four investigations right now that are going on. There's one from the NFL. There are two from the attorney generals, or attorneys general from uh, D.C. and Virginia, and there are and there's one from Congress as well. So if they uncover, um, you know, more serious allegations or find the validity in those allegations, then yeah, maybe the owners could. Uh, take action. But as of now, what is known publicly, um, you know, we've seen if 40, if the NFL didn't issue a formal suspension or take serious action after more than 40 women said they were sexually harassed while working for the team, then, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to see them taking uh, additional action. But yeah, I would, I don't know how realistic of a possibility it is, but I'm not going to rule it out at this point just because of uh, how how serious these, these allegations are. They have the Dan Snyder issue, of course, but also Jack Del Rio being fined $100,000 for comments he made regarding January 6th and uh, BLM protests. Uh, is he going to be on the sideline? I mean, the NFL is a minority-heavy league, obviously. Is that a point of contention within the locker room? Is that something that potentially could flare up in training camp? I don't uh, I don't think so. I mean, what you can say about Ron Rivera's culture and what he's built in Washington is that they do have a lot of good uh, soldiers, so to speak. They all kind of follow his lead, and they all – when they spoke to the press about Del Rio's comments, they all kind of had the same message. They were all very disciplined in saying that, look, you know, it's not going to be an issue. Guys have different political opinions. We don't may not have to respect them, but, you know, I do think there are guys that disagree with it, but um, I, I think they'll find a way to, to move past this. You know, Rivera did take the, did uh, find Del Rio, um, and I think Del Rio learned his lesson. You know, he, he, he deleted his Twitter account. So as long as there aren't more statements um, made or anything like that, I think they'll be able to, to move past this. But, yeah, it was, a, it was a serious mark on the franchise for sure. Isn't it amazing? Last question, Matt. Isn't it amazing that with all of this going on off the field with Dan Snyder, congressional hearings, Jack Del Rio, $100,000 fine, there's actually a product on the field that people believe can be pretty good and some of that may rely on what happens with Terry McLaurin. Now, what's the latest with him? Is he expected to be there in training camp, or is this going to be a prolonged issue where he wants a new contract and they haven't agreed to one yet? Yeah, we we don't really know at this point whether he, he plans on showing up. Now, the NFL has made it harder in recent years for guys to hold out. They've increased uh, the fines. But uh, I think Washington is... They've maintained a level of optimism that they can get this done. They, they did so with Jonathan Allen last year, their star defensive lineman, um, right before training camp. They've kind of thrown around a similar timeline of when this might get done from a corner. But 
you know, you, you look around the NFL and look at how the wide receiver market has exploded this offseason. I think it's really complicated discussions, and they uh, reportedly remain far apart right now. So, you know, who knows at this point? But um, I think Rivera has uh, – he's, he's still pretty confident that this will get done. On McLaurin's side, uh, I don't know. Are they confident in Carson Wentz? Indy was, and that, of course, ended quickly. The Eagles loved him at first. That ended quickly. There's also seemingly a locker room issue that may have ended his stay quickly in Indianapolis. What have you seen from Carson Wentz so far, and uh, what are your expectations out of him? Yeah, you know, I thought you you see the upgrade over Taylor Heineke at the very least. You know, he, he has a big arm. You see those things that you understand why the coaching staff and the front office was kind of willing to take a chance on Carson Wentz. And so far they've said nothing but good things. I thought throughout the OTA sessions and minicamp, he played relatively well. Now he kind of faltered down the stretch um, during minicamp, but he, he was a little bit more inconsistent. But, you know, that's not necessarily an indication. We don't know what he was trying out per se uh, and learning a new scheme, but so far, they've been impressed with him, and as long as he can get average level of quarterback play or above average, you know, Washington hasn't really had that since Kirk Cousins was under center. So they really like the, the playmakers around him, and they think he can unlock a, a different level of their offense. Wow, what a team. I mean, that, that, the hard knock should be there, let me tell you. Hard knock should be there with uh, <laughs> all the drama going on around that organization. Matt Paris covers the commanders for the Washington Times. Matt, appreciate it, my friend. Have a great weekend. Okay, thank you. Thank you for having me. How about that? What a um, I don't want to say a train wreck because they're actually a decent product on the field. Although I'm not a Carson Wentz guy. I don't know what happened there. Ever since he had that injury in Philly, uh, tore that ACL, you know, missed the Super Bowl, Nick Foles goes and wins it for them. Yeah, Carson Wentz, the, the, the shine has worn off. Guy was supposed, you know, second overall pick was supposed to be that franchise quarterback, was supposed to be a guy that changed the fortunes there, and that wore off. He goes to Indianapolis. They reunite him with Frank Reich, who was his OC with the Eagles. Statistically, he played fine. You watch the games, though, he really didn't. And then seemingly there was some sort of an issue in the locker room, and if you read the quotes from... Yeah, certain members of the front office, it seems that that may have been more the contributing factor as to why Carson Wentz was let go. But now he's with Washington, and uh, they're hoping that he kind of reverts back to what we saw in Philadelphia early in his career. I'm not going to count on that, though. I mean, I thought Indy was a perfect situation for him, and that didn't work out. That's a different fan base than Washington. You know, Washington is a volatile fan base. They are a loyal, uh, crazy, rabid fan base. And if Carson Wentz doesn't play well or doesn't seem to be turning the fortunes of this team, they're going to run him out of town. Like He's not going to survive. Like They will run him out of town. It's funny how those the first two picks of that 2016 draft, they're both of them, and neither one of them are, are any good. You know what we learned from that? That Sean McVay is legitimately an offensive genius and made Jared Goff look like a good NFL quarterback, right? And then when he realized, I cannot do smoke and mirrors anymore, and this Kabuki show has to end, he ships him off, brings in Matt Stafford, who always showed great attributes but had big faults that they never corrected in Detroit. McVay takes him, and what does he do? Makes him into a Super Bowl-winning quarterback. Sean McVay is a Hall of Fame coach, right? Yeah, he is I would think a so. a young guy. He is a Hall of Fame coach. He is an offensive genius.
He is what you truly call a quarterback guru. You know, they throw around that term so loosely. Oh, he's a quarterback guru. No. When it comes to Sean McVay, what he has proven to us is that he is legitimately a quarterback guru. He made Jared Goff look competent, and he turned Matt Stafford into what everybody thought he could be coming out of Georgia, which is a superstar quarterback. And almost won a Super Bowl with Jared Goff. Almost. Yeah, the smoke and mirrors can only take you so far, right? And what is golf in Detroit? Unbelievable. And Carson Wentz showed it early, and that was it. Third team already for him. Think about it. Goff's on his second team. Carson Wentz is on his third team. It's hard to truly find a franchise quarterback. It really is. Raiders have one. Like, it's rare. The Raiders, yeah, you have the fourth best, you have the the, the, fourth, the fifth best quarterback in your division or fourth? <laughs> There's only four teams. Oh, the, so you're the fifth. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Pat Mahomes is better. Justin Herbert's better. Russell Wilson's better. I'm not sure the fourth best quarterback in a division can truly be called a franchise quarterback, buddy. The Raiders will be back. <laughs> we made the playoffs last year. They we'll did. be back. Congratulations. Yeah. I don't know about that. You think four teams are making it from that division? No. Uh-uh. Exactly. Guess who's going to be on the outside looking in? Your Raiders will be on the outside looking in. Hate to tell you. No, they no. Will be on Come the outside on. Come looking on. In. You know I'm right. You know I'm right. I'm telling you right now, you know I am correct. All right. Last night was the NBA draft. Two rounds, of course, at the Barclays Center in New York. Who's the winner? Who's the loser? And which player truly ended up in that perfect situation to succeed? I have all the answers for you next. Dan Schwartzman on a Friday filling in for Rich Eisen right here on The Rich Eisen Show. Let's talk O'Reilly Auto Parts, people. Or as you might know from their jingle, O-O-O O'Reilly Auto Parts. They're in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offers friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs because you know when you need your car fixed, you need somebody who knows what they're talking about and is helpful, has a smile on their face, and gets you back on the road. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you just... Find the right battery for your vehicle. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fix, or a quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, you will find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts knowledgeable, helpful, and the best of all, friendly. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. It's that time of year, people. Spring has sprung, and that means spring cleaning, or at least the partner in your life is demanding that you do it. Whether that means stocking up on cleaning supplies or swapping out your winter clothes for new spring clothes, make sure you're using Ibotta and get real cash back with every purchase. Ibotta is a free app that gives you the most cash back every time you shop on hundreds of items from groceries to beauty supplies to toys. The average Ibotta user earns $256 per year. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip, that flight you've been eyeing, or 
the fancy dinner you've been craving. Join the over 50 million users and earn cash back every time you shop from over 2,700 brands and retailers. And right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 for just trying Ibotta by using the code Eisen when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app to start earning cash back and use my code E-I-S-E-N. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use my code Eisen. It is the Rich Eisen Show on a Friday. Dan Schwartzman in for Rich. I'll be back uh, first week of July for a couple of shows as well. Looking forward to that. Always a fun time sitting in for Rich. Deserving a few days off for him. NBA draft was yesterday at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. And here's the funny thing about it. You know, when you watch the NFL draft, a lot of it is the run-up to the draft, right? You have the combine. If you're an NFL fan, you follow the Combine. Chances are you know enough about college football, so you know the star players. And because you've heard the name recognition over the months leading up to the draft, you know the names. So out of the 32 first-round picks, you know a bunch of these guys, right? You probably know at least 26, 27 guys, maybe 25. In the NBA draft last night, the 30 picks of the first round... I would venture to guess, unless you are a die-hard college basketball fan, you don't know half these players. Maybe even more than half these players, you have no idea who they are. Do you know who Peyton Watson is? Patrick Baldwin Jr., Blake Wellesley, Wesley, David Roddy, Walker Kessler, Jake LaRavia. Terry Eason. Do you know these guys? Maliki Branham. I mean, come on, right? You don't. It's honestly pretty insane when you're watching an NBA draft and frankly, outside of a handful of players, you're like, who is this guy? Osmani Dieng from the New Zealand Breakers. Who? Jeremy Sokin from Baylor. Dyson Daniels, a G leaguer. Again, no idea. No idea. That's why it's so hard to think, like, is this guy any good? Because you really never watch these guys. Half these, like, look, on a college football Saturday, you're going to see a lot of the top guys because, let's face it, a lot of the top draft picks are from the big conferences, the big schools, right? Alabama has five, six guys taken. Ohio State's got four guys taken. Between those two schools, you have almost a third of the first round. So you've seen these guys play. You're like, oh, yeah, that guy's really good. I watched him play a couple of Saturdays. When it comes to college basketball, you probably haven't watched these guys at all, or very few of these players you watched. How many games did you watch Keegan Murray playing for Iowa? And by the way, he was the fourth overall pick. Yeah, Paolo Bancaro you watched because he went to Duke. So it's interesting when you're watching this draft and these names are popping up and you really have no idea. And then you watch the Nick fans who are there. It's right there for them, right? And they draft this kid, Osmani Dieng, from New Zealand. You're like, who the heck is this guy? No one knows. Everybody's booing the way that they booed Kristaps Porzingis years ago. And, they, you know, he ended up being obviously a really good player for them before he talked his way out of town. But it's incredible that with an 11th overall pick, they draft a guy you have no idea who he is. Never does that happen in an NFL draft where the 11th guy taken. You're like, who is this guy? Never saw him play. No clue. Then again, of course, the NBA is obviously an international global sport. The NFL is not. But I always find that interesting. I know I've gone off on like a tangent here on this, but uh, I've, already, I've always found that very, very interesting that 
you don't know half the players that are being picked in the first round of the NBA draft usually, maybe even more. Uh, yeah. No idea who they are. The only way I knew them is because I work for Westwood One here. And right. so, we, we had exclusive rights to the to the NCAA tournament. Right. So, so we oh, did Jim all the Duren, games. I remember him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the only one. Mark Williams. <laughs> I remember that name from the tournament. That's right. But if you didn't do that, you have no idea who half these guys are. I'm a sports fan. I don't know half these guys. I'll, I'll, I will readily admit it. And that's why when it comes to winners or losers, and everybody has to be, uh, you know, first with their winners and losers. Who who made a good pick? Who didn't make a good pick? Should Paolo Bancaro have gone number one overall to Orlando? Should they have taken Jabari Smith Jr., which Vegas thought was the pick? Should they have taken Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga number one? Did they make a mistake or not? Who the heck knows? No one knows right now. All we know is there's a, a consensus top three of Bancaro, Holmgren, and Smith. That was the consensus top three. You knew those guys were going one, two, and three. The only question was, in what order are they going one, two, and three? There didn't seem to be a doubt that that was the first three picks. Now, Orlando did a great job of smoke screens, I guess, because most people, again, and I believe even Adrian Wojnarowski, who is you know the god when it comes to the information, I think he also believed it was going to be originally Jabari Smith. Wasn't the case. But when it comes to winners or losers, we'll know in a couple of years. But I do have two winners, and they're not actual teams. The first winner is the University of Duke, or Duke University. And why? Because they had four guys taken in the first 26 picks. They had five total players taken in this draft because Trevor Keels went uh, in the second round to the Knicks. Four guys in the first round, one guy in the second round. And when it comes to the recruiting aspect of college basketball, which is half the game, right? you got to bring in talented players to then try to nurture that talent to win games. What a sales pitch. You want to go, hey, hey, kid, I'm sitting on your, your your couch or I'm meeting with you in your high school coach's office and I'm going to give you my recruiting pitch. Here it is. We just had four guys taken in the first round and uh, we think you're the next guy to be that. Okay, coach, sign me up. Okay, Mr. Shire, I, Coach Shire, I'll do it, please. I'll be there. You got these guys to the NBA, I'll be there. I worked under Coach Krzyzewski, I helped get these. Oh, sold, I'm in. Like when Saban walks in, okay, uh, I've had uh, 30 first-round picks in the last six years. I'm, I'm making that number up, but it's probably actually fairly close. Okay, coach, I know you can get me to the NFL. You can nurture my skills in college for three years, and I'll be out of here as a junior and a first-round pick. Thank you very much. Where do I sign on the, you know, my, my national letter of intent? Because kids all want to go to the next level, right? They want to be NBA players. If you're good enough to have... Duke recruiting you, you know, you're you're one step closer to the NBA. If Alabama's recruiting you for college football, you're a step closer to the NFL, right? And that's what these kids want. They want to go play and showcase their talent uh, for the least amount of years possible in college and then go make millions of dollars. Duke yesterday proved that that's where you go because they had four guys taken in the first round. Kentucky had two. Kansas had two. And uh, I believe that's it in terms of schools with multiple first-round picks. Arizona had two. Right? They had two guys as well. Pick number six and pick number 18. And I believe that's it for the teams with multiple picks. And, of course, Duke had four. So they're a winner, clearly. The other winner to me is Chet Holmgren. Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga went to the perfect situation. He's not the number one pick, so he doesn't have the pressure of being that number one pick. And 
When you're the Orlando Magic picking number one, you're three for three. You've actually never failed with a number one overall pick. The three guys that they have picked number one in their career is Shaquille O'Neal, Chris Webber, and Dwight Howard. Okay? They shipped Webber on draft night to the, I forgot, for Penny Hardaway, I guess it was what, Sacramento? And Penny Hardaway was a great player. So they've never flunked having the first pick in a draft, and Paolo Bancaro has to now try to live up that legacy of being the fourth guy and not being a failure and being in the same class as Shaq, Chris Webber, and Dwight Howard, all great players. Chet Holmgren goes number two, less pressure being the number two pick. He also goes to Oklahoma City Thunder. Oklahoma City is one of the smallest, if not the smallest, media market in the NBA. So how's that beneficial? Less media attention, right? Less pressure. More opportunity to succeed through failure. You go to a place like New York or LA or a place like that, your your window to fail is a heck of a lot smaller than it is in a place like OKC. As of 2020, OKC, yes. 649,821 residents. Okay, I think that is the smallest market. Not that Orlando's a big market, but I believe that is the smallest market in the NBA. I may be off by one or two cities, but most of the other cities that have an NBA team are bigger markets. Actually, Orlando's smaller, 284,800. But in terms of the area, the complete area, is that just city limits? City limits. Okay, I think Orlando will claim areas around there. So I'm not sure how that worked. Maybe it's media market size. I think OKC is smaller. Yeah. But whatever it is. like What it is, though. But Art, here's the thing. like Chet Holmgren can have games where where he's absolutely awful. And he'll have time to, you know, learn more skill. He'll have time to develop his skill more than if he was the number one pick where he went to a top market. Okay. In OKC, they can put up with him failing here and there and be more patient than anywhere else. So I think that's a benefit for Chet Holmgren, who's coming out as a, you know, as a freshman. He came out after just one year. He also has to put weight on. He, they list him at a buck 95. I've heard that he's closer to buck 85 at seven feet tall. He's very skinny, but he does play that he's bigger. You know, he's a guy who does play defense. He will block shots. He does challenge you, and that's what I love about his game. I think he is the best player in this draft. He should have gone number one overall. I think Orlando made a big mistake. I think in terms of pure ability and pure upside, Chet Holmgren's the best player in this draft. You're going to see it. I think he's going to be a star in the NBA. I think his skill set translates to today's NBA uh, ridiculously well. He can shoot. He's like a 40% shooter from three-point land. He's got an inside game. He does play defense. He will be an all-NBA defensive player multiple times. Uh, he will challenge you. They will put him on a NBA weightlifting program, a nutritional program. They will add some bulk, and they can tailor the bulk today to where he's not just going to add bulk and it will hurt his mobility, his you know his overall game. I think it only enhance it. So I think he's in a perfect position. Also, remember... The comps for Chet Holmgren, one of the names that keeps coming up, and it's unfair to compare these guys, is Kevin Durant. All right, Kevin Durant's one of the greatest players in the history of basketball. It's kind of hard to compare a guy to Kevin Durant, but the comparison is there. Height, Durant was skinny when he came out. Giannis Antetokounmpo is another guy that he's compared to, a guy who was pretty much just as skinny when he came out and needed a couple years. Holmgren, I think, is more developed at this age because he played big-time D1 college basketball at Gonzaga, uh, you know, Antetokounmpo's playing in Greece. Different. 
And Milwaukee was a perfect setting for him to kind of learn the first couple of years before he emerged as a superstar caliber player. And that is one of the best players we've ever seen. Giannis Antetokounmpo, two-time NBA MVP. So when you look at those types of comps, you know, Oklahoma City had Kevin Durant from his second year on. So you think they kind of have an understanding as to how to take the skill set and maximize it. So I think for Holmgren, that's another reason why, to me, he ends up in the best possible scenario of any of the top players that came out. He is set up to succeed big time here. You know, Bancaro's in Orlando, not a big media market. You don't have a 1,000 reporters that are going to surround him, win or lose. You'll have the same four or five guys, so it's a little bit cozier, but he's a number one pick. There's added pressure being the number one pick. All right, Jabari Smith goes to Houston. That's such a train wreck right now anyway that I think the expectation is, like, if he fails, we'll blame it on the organization, not on him. Fair or not, I think that's how people kind of view it, which is, hey, it won't be his doing if he fails. It's the fact that Houston's a train wreck right now. And if Chet Holmgren had gone to Houston, I'd probably say the same thing. He probably is not going to succeed there because of the organization. It's like going to the New York Knicks, right? Like how many guys have gone to the New York Knicks? It's a place where like young players' careers go to die. <laughs> it just it's not any good. R.J. Barrett may be kind of changing that. Obi Toppin may be changing that the way he played the last week of the season. But in reality, you kind of go there to die as a young player, like a Kevin Knox, right? You want to hear the craziest thing, Art? The New York Knicks have not signed a first-round pick to a second contract since Charlie Ward, and I think that was 1994. Can you believe that? That's unbelievable. Right? Like 19, I think it's like 1994 is the last time they like actually signed a first-round pick to the next contract. And it wasn't as if Charlie Ward was any good, by the way. You know, it's not like he was a great Heisman Trophy quarterback. He was, you know, a good point guard for Florida State first-round pick. But it wasn't like he was a great NBA player. Had a lengthy career, but he wasn't a great player. But the Knicks have been so bad drafting that they have not drafted a guy worthy of a second contract since Charlie Ward. I mean, come on. Stephen A. calls the Knicks a disaster. Did you see him yesterday with Spike Lee after the the Knicks pick? The strategy of what they did, which is like, let's accumulate more draft picks. They have 11 first round and 11 second round picks in the next seven years. Okay, Whoop-de-doo. If you can't draft, it doesn't matter how many picks you have. But to free up cap room, they gave away, you know, they, they got rid of Kemba Walker, and by doing so, they had to give up Jalen Duran uh, as the 13th Duran, you know, Jalen Duran, I believe, the 13th pick out of Memphis. They shipped him to Detroit with Kemba Walker's contract. Uh, and they're doing it to free up money to make a run at Jalen Brunson, who, you know, Mark Cuban, who owns the Dallas Mavericks, where Brunson plays, has pretty much said, we're not going to let him go, we'll pay him. If you're the Knicks and you've made these moves and you have not added any talent to this team because, well, you didn't draft anybody that's playing for you, right? You draft this Osmani Dian kid, 11th overall, and he ends up in OKC. And then you actually get the rights to the 13th overall pick in Jalen Duran, but you actually then just ship those rights to Detroit. Trevor Keels is the only draft pick that's part of this team, and there's no guarantee he makes the roster. He's a second-round pick. He might be playing in the G League. The fact is, like, you're not a good team, right? That's why you're drafting 11th. And you're putting all your eggs in the Jalen Brunson basket because you need a point guard? Well, what if you don't get him? Then what? That's why Stephen A. Smith is putting his head in his hands going, what is going on with my team? And Spike Lee's shaking his head. And is Jalen Brunson really that good? Like, do you want to give this guy 25 mil because he had one nice season and a great postseason run for Dallas? Like, 
you know, how many times have we seen a player play well for a stretch and that ends up getting him a contract and then never kind of replicating that success? Maybe he's a guy that's now playing at a higher level. And by the way, the Knicks have really tried to make this as Jalen Brunson friendly as possible. They just hired his his uh, his father to be an assistant coach under uh, Thibodeau. They're trying to lay out this red carpet welcome mat and saying, come play for us, please. We'll free up the money, and we even have your father on staff here. So if Leon Rose, who was a super agent, right, he, he built CAA, I believe it was, if he was a super agent who's now running this team, can't even get a Jalen Brunson to come over, he's a useless GM, literally a useless GM if he can't even get Jalen Brunson, who I believe, by the way, Leon Rose's son has something to do with Jalen Brunson too. There's so many ties there that if he doesn't land Jalen Brunson, Leon Rose better just pack his office and leave. If he lands him and pays him a ton and he stinks, he should pack up his office and leave in that scenario as well. It's that simple. That's what's going on. Winners, losers, I can't tell you. It's too early to say. Yankees and Aaron Judge have settled arbitration. The Chicago Blackhawks have themselves a new head coach. I'll tell you what, interesting stuff out there. Game number five, will the Avalanche lock up the Stanley Cup tonight? We wrap things up next. Dan Schwartzman in for Rich Eisen. It's a Friday edition of the Rich Eisen Show. Let's talk sleep number, people, because quality sleep is so essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is dissolved for your ever-evolving sleep needs. And the same thing for your partner, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Quiets your snores or your partner's? Sleep Number does that. My sleep number setting is 60. My wife's is 70. Ten numbers apart, but it truly is the world of difference. The sleep number, sleep that you get is unbelievable. You will love it. J.D. Power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now you could save 50%. That's 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Wrapping things up, it's a Friday here at the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Schwartzman in for Rich. News today, Aaron Judge and the Yankees avoid arbitration at the last minute. A hearing was scheduled for noon, and they settle right before the hearing begins. Yankees had offered $17 million this year. He had made uh, about $10 million last year. So he gets about a $7 million raise in the Yankee offer. Judge had asked for $21 million. They settle at the halfway point of $19 million, so he gets a $9 million raise. Not bad, right? I mean, it's a it's a good year's work. And he gets two potential bonuses. He can make $250,000 by winning an MVP award and an additional $250,000 for being the World Series MVP. By the way, two doable things for Judge. He could make upwards of $19.5 million this year. At worst, he's making nineteen. Again, not a bad year's work. Now, now and you he's told earning me, it. You told me earlier in the first hour that the arbitrators 
couldn't read any articles, couldn't watch anything about no, no, Aaron no, no. They can watch. No, they're just not allowed to use what he's done this year. How, how could they not? I mean, you know, he's MVP already. Yeah, but they're not supposed to use it. Obviously, it's, you know, a human mind is a human mind. And you have to be an idiot not to realize Aaron Judge is on pace for over 60 home runs right now, and he's clearly the league MVP. He's got 27 home runs. I mean, what he's done is, yesterday, a game-winning hit again for the Yankees. Uh, They score four in the ninth off the hated Astros. And, uh, you know, look, he continues to absolutely rake. He's got... Five more home runs than Jordan Alvarez, who's number two. I mean, think about having a five-home run lead in the race right now. That's huge, you know? That's a lot. He's going to have, you know, over 30 home runs by the All-Star break. By by 81 games, he's going to have over 30 home runs at, at his pace. He's got 11 games to get to 81. He's got 27 home runs. The guy's been the MVP in this league. He's been flat-out ridiculous. He's also hitting 300. So, you know, the the one thing is that maybe you can read from this arbitration settlement. And remember, in April, he turned 30. So Aaron Judge is kind of old to be getting that first big contract. Like Trout, Bryce Harper, guys like that were like 26 years old when they got that huge contract. So you're like, all right, I'll give you 10 years. Because by the time you're 36, I think you can still play at a high level. But if Aaron Judge is looking for ten million, you know, a 10-year contract, you're saying, okay, well, if he's 30 now... And I'm paying him till he's 40 or 41. Uh, what happens the last three or four years? I mean, he's going to break down, right? Aaron Judge has had a problem staying healthy. Since his rookie year, when he played 155 games, he played 112, 102, 28 games. Of course, that was COVID-shortened. Last year, 148 games. And this year, he's been healthy. He's played, you know, 68 games out of the 70. But he's missed a lot of games. Let's not kid ourselves. He's missed a ton of games. So there comes a point you say to yourself, okay, am I going to trust Aaron Judge to stay healthy? Do I want to give him a 10-year contract? But if you're the Yankees, the ray of light is this. Aaron Judge could have let arbitration take its course and could have walked away with $21, you know, a $21 million deal. I mean, Aaron Judge last year hit 287, 39 homers, 98 RBIs in 148 games. So, in essence, he hit 290 with 40 home runs and 100 ribbies. That's worth $21 million in today's Major League Baseball. He had a war of 5.9. The guy absolutely raked. So, okay, I mean, do the math on it. And people continue to think that Aaron Judge will literally just aim for the highest dollar amount that is offered to him next offseason to determine where he's going to play. But maybe this shows you that's not the case. And what I mean by that is this. You know, Aaron Judge is in a profound position to literally have taken the torch pass from Derek Jeter, the last great Yankee, right? When you think of the great Yankees of Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, right? Reggie Jackson to Derek Jeter, you know, guys like that. The next in that line of greatness in the lineage is Aaron Judge. And that means something. Don't call it arrogance. It's just truthful when you think about the Yankees and their history. They are far and away the greatest franchise in baseball history. It's not even a debate. They've won so many, they've lost more World Series than I think the next team's won World Series, okay? No joke. They're the Wayne Gretzky of baseball. They're so far ahead of everybody else. You know, Gretzky's point total is so far ahead of number two. The Yankees' World Series total is so far ahead of number two. 
It's like 27 to like 10 or 9 or whatever the heck it is. Not even close. So Aaron Judge has that ability to be the next guy to be in Monument Park, to have his number 99 retired, to have at least a plaque, to come back on Old Timers Day and be beloved by all, never pay for a meal in New York. But if he leaves this offseason because he literally searches for the highest dollar amount and the fans perceive that the Yankees made him a fair offer and he decides to go to San Francisco or the Mets or the Red Sox, whatever it might be, because or the Dodgers because they offered him five million more bucks, he kind of throws that all away, right? He kind of gives that up. He gives that up. He gives up, uh, you know, Monument Park because he hasn't had the career of an Albert Pujols where after ten dominant years you can leave St. Louis and take the money and know you're still going to get a statue outside the stadium and a plaque inside, right? Like you know it. And Pujols has gone back, and he's a conquering hero. And then, look, he will get that st- that statue and all that. It's going to happen. So, regardless of the fact that he went and played for the Angels and took that $240 million, because who wouldn't take that money? But if Judge left after this year with, you know, let's say 205 career home runs and, you know, 450 RBIs playing uh, 700 games and not winning a World Series, well, sorry... You've had a nice Yankee career, but it's not great. You're not in that Derek Jeter, Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig echelon, and you never will be. But if you stay as a Yankee and you sign an 8- or 10-year contract and you have one of those careers where you literally just play for one team, it adds to the greatness. Art, you know what I'm saying? Like Kobe Bryant in another uniform would have looked very strange. Kobe Bryant was a great player, and I think part of the greatness is the fact that you only saw him play in one uniform. There's something about guys who played in one uniform for 20 years, right? Jeter, Kobe, guys like that. Absolutely. Mystique. It's a mystique, exactly. Aaron Judge has that chance to sign one big contract. And look, the Yankees are going to offer him $300 million. Maybe somebody blows him out of the water and you say, okay, Fine, Steve Cohen of the Mets offered him 10 years, $400 million. Hard to blame the Yankees for not matching that. That's ridiculous money. And by the way, that could happen. Steve Cohen could afford it easily. But if the Yankees offer him $300 million and the Giants offer him $320 million and he takes the three hundred twenty over 10 years, over three hundred to stay with the Yankees, he gives up that entire legacy. Is that legacy worth another $20 bucks? Easy for me to sit here and say that because... I'm not being offered 320 million compared to 300, or do I just take that 20 million bucks? But there is something to be said of a guy that started as a Yankee in 2016 and potentially ends his career as a Yankee in 2032 at the age of 40. It kind of heightens the greatness, adds to the legacy. Today, not taking and fighting for every last dollar to get to the 21 million he asked for in arbitration may be assigned to the Yankees to say, okay, Aaron Judge isn't in this strictly for the money. Aaron Judge potentially does understand what his legacy is and that will play somewhat of a role, as long as the money's close, for him staying with the Yankees. It's a thought. Again, I don't know what his rationale is or his thinking is, but it is a thought. Game number five tonight, Stanley Cup final. This one is in Denver. Colorado Avalanche leading the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning three games to one. Do I think it ends? Colorado is the favorite. Minus 190 to wrap it up, raise the cup today, end the hockey season. Yes, I do think Colorado wins this series. I think it's very hard for Tampa, as great as they are, 
with the better goalie who looks tired right now in Vasilevsky to win three straight games, including two on the road against a really, really, really talented team in the Avalanche. Can they bring it back for a Game 7? Yes, they can. Do I hope they do because I want to see this series extended because I do believe we are witnessing the two best teams in the NHL right now playing for the Stanley Cup? I do. But if I was a betting man, and I don't bet because I'm cheap, my money would be on the Colorado Avalanche ending things. They do not want this to go to a Game 6 in Tampa. They don't want Tampa to win a Game 6 have that momentum of having won a Game 5 on the road, a Game 6 at home, to then go back to a Game 7 in Denver with them having all the momentum and Colorado just having the home crowd is potentially what will give them that advantage. Going to be a fun game number 5 tonight. I do think the Avalanche do end up locking things up and raising that cup. Fun as always, I want to thank Scott Miller from SiriusXM, Talking Baseball, Alan Shipnick, author of Phil, and Matt Paris covers the Commanders for the Washington Times for joining us. I'll be back July 7th and 8th in for Rich. For Rich Eisen, I'm Dan Schwartzman. Have a great weekend. Appreciate you tuning in to the Rich Eisen Show.